So this morning, we are going to be in John chapter 11. And in light of what we just prayed about, I am just marveling at God's timing as we go through this series on the I Am statements of Jesus. And we have covered incredible truths about who Jesus says he is. And I love what Jeff said a few weeks ago where he said, sometimes we don't hear the I am statements of Jesus because our minds are filled with statements we've created about him. What Jeff referred to as he is statements. And so sometimes we are unable to hear what Jesus says about himself because we are so busy filling our mind with who we think he is, who we think he ought to be. But in his kindness, he tells us who he is. And with each of those statements, he reveals something about himself, about his character, about his nature, about who we are called to be in him. And this morning, in the statement that he is making today, I am the resurrection and the life, he gives an answer for the greatest question that mankind has been asking for all time. The question that has been ingrained in us since our earliest days. The question that is most natural for us to ask, which is why? Why? Why is this happening in my life? Why am I here? Why is there evil in the world. Why, God, aren't you fixing this? Why did you let this happen? And in this incredible story this morning in John 11, Jesus addresses it. And I want to warn you, he won't address it in a way that will feel fully satisfactory to us. but he will answer it in a way that his good purposes might be fulfilled in us. So John 11, starting in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Look, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So there you see right away, he's stating his purpose of why this illness is happening. Immediately, right off the bat, when they tell him Lazarus is ill, he says it does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And we'll develop that more. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And we need to pause here, because if you're picking up on something, that seems like a really strange statement, doesn't it? Read that again. Now, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So they're dear to him. He loves them. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, 
He stayed two days longer in the place he was. That is a strange statement. Some translations say, therefore, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So he hears his friend is gravely ill, and he loves them so much that he stays two days where he is. Maybe you can relate to the frustration that the disciples might have been feeling. Like maybe you've experienced where you feel like Jesus doesn't seem like he's in too much of a hurry to fix what is broken in your life. It doesn't seem like he's in too much of a hurry to bring resolution, to let you learn the things that you need to learn, to build in you what he needs to build in you so that you can move forward. That God is slow to respond when you and I might feel things are quite urgent. And it is strange, unless he knows exactly what he's doing. Verse 7. After he said to the disciples, let us go, after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And the disciples said, oh, that makes perfect sense. Thank you for clarifying that. (laughs) No. Like, he waits for two days and then says, let's go back to Judea. And the disciples say, you mean the place where they just threatened to stone you and kill you? And Jesus responds, don't worry, there's 12 hours of daylight. I, one of the things that I love is when, like, you need to let yourself feel this. If you ever read scripture and you hear Jesus say something and you say, what? You're not alone. I can just imagine the dumbfounded look on the disciples' faces. And my face would look just as dumbfounded. But I don't think he's saying how many hours of daylight they have to walk there. I think he is saying, I am the light of the world. If you are with me, you won't stumble. Calling back to, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. So they're confused why he's spending extra time. Why are you taking an extra two days if if this is so important? They're confused. Then why do you want to go back to where They want to kill you, and Jesus says, you're with me, I'm with you, you don't need to worry about that. And now he tells them he's fallen asleep, which they would have thought maybe that, okay, that means he's recovering, maybe his fever broke, whatever happened, but he's resting now, it means he's on the road of recovery, and the disciples are probably thinking, that's great, if he's fallen asleep, then he'll get better, we don't need to go into that risky environment. And that does sound like us a little bit, right? Like, 
When you feel, have you ever had that moment where you feel like God is calling you to do something? And then somebody else kind of jumps in and does it and you think like, oh good, I'm off the hook. Yeah. It happens a lot. We often are looking, when when God calls us on a road that we're saying, I don't really want to go on that road, we kind of look around. That's when we love looking for signs. We love finding any sign that makes us feel like, oh, maybe, maybe that means I'm not supposed to do that. Oh, I'm off the hook. Like, great, they have all the volunteers that they need. I don't need to, I don't need to volunteer and serve. Great, like we met, our, we met our budget. I don't have to respond to God's call for me to give. Great, that person moved away. I don't have to forgive or go through that painful conversation and try to bring reconciliation. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So again, think about all of their objections to what is going on here. Like, um, going back to Judea is dangerous. If he's fallen asleep, he's going to get better. If he's dead, it's too late. Why in the world would we be risking going back to Judea? And oh, by the way, if all this was so important, why did we sit around for two days? And Jesus says, for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe. In other words, he's saying all those objections you have, those things are why this is the plan. So that you may believe. All the things that seem like obstacles to you, all the things that you think, well, if that wasn't the case, God, this would be so much easier. He's saying all of those things, all of those objections are why this is the plan. So this is a basic truth of Scripture. Jesus knows exactly what he is doing. And he has purpose in everything. In his life, and in his ministry, and right now with you. See, many of us, including myself, are willing to follow Jesus as long as the road he asks us to walk makes sense to us. But a huge part of trusting God is understanding that we won't always understand. And I've heard many times people say things like, I just, I need to figure out what God had, why God has me in this situation. I need to figure out what I need to learn from this situation. As if once you figured that out, the difficult circumstances will be relieved and you can move on. Well, here's the short version of what God is doing in the midst of of your difficult circumstances. It is to glorify God and so that you will experience more joy. Everything you and I go through is a way to bring glory to God. To glorify for the world, to demonstrate for the world his power, his love, his grace, his mercy, his kindness. And glorifying God is what brings us everlasting joy. Deep joy that doesn't go away when storms hit. Deep joy that is inexpressible. His glory 
our joy, every single thing in our lives. That's the purpose. And sometimes we get off course when we think the purpose is something different, but the purpose isn't our temporary comfort. The purpose is not financial success. It's not an easy retirement or a successful career or children and grandchildren. It's not even that we would learn all the right lessons so that we can do all the right things. The purpose of every road that Jesus leads us on is to glorify God and to bring more everlasting joy. It may seem like he's moving slowly, but there is a purpose to his pace. Because Jesus, Jesus is not in, in a hurry because he is in control. Time is his servant. It may seem like what he is calling you into is risky or scary or painful, but he is the light of the world. And if you walk with him, you will not stumble. It may seem like it doesn't matter if you follow him, like I'll just slip into the background and somebody else can take care of that. So, so it doesn't really, I can be let off the hook. But he is with you specifically and walking with you. It doesn't always make sense to us, but it does to him. And the question is, will you follow him? And what I love about this is the disciples do not understand. But when he says, Lazarus has died, let us go to him, the logical conclusion for them is to think, okay, you're wanting to go back to a place where you've been threatened with death. We're going to go visit our friend who has died, and you're saying we need to go to him. They understandably fill in the blanks and say, so we're going to go die. And what's their response? So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. When people wonder about how can we trust that Jesus really did the things that he said he did and that are written down about him, you can tell much by his followers. And Thomas, who unfortunately gets the, the label doubting Thomas, it's unfortunate and seemingly unfair because here, when he thinks that he understands, he says, I'll go. Let's go and die with him. And he may have been the ringleader, but they evidently all agreed because they all go with him. They don't understand. Interestingly enough, they think they understand, but they don't. So which, by the way, side note, just because you think you've got that all figured out doesn't mean that you do, okay? So we go through situations a lot of times where we're like, I have no idea what God is doing here, but I want to trust him. But then we go through other situations where like, I think I know exactly what God is doing here. But we don't. And so they follow. Where else are they going to go? As we saw in John 6, Jesus has the words of eternal life. That's the call. Are you there? And then verse 17 says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. 
Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So four days have passed, four days of grieving, four days of mourning, four days of wondering why Jesus hadn't shown up. And he finally does. And Martha asks what many of us would have asked, what I think I would have asked. Where were you? If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Which one of us hasn't leveled that accusation against God? But then, a glimmer of hope. But I know that even now, God will do whatever you ask. See, she has faith. She knows that Jesus is capable of this, and so she asks anyway, and Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha responds, I know. I believe in the resurrection. I know that one day he will. I know one day you'll make it all right. But what is, what's going on in Martha's question there? It's something that we deal with a lot where we say, okay, I know, God, you're going to make it all right one day. I know one day, but what about now? What about right now, today? I'm grieving right now. I believe in the resurrection. And Jesus says, hey, I am the resurrection. Like, what's going on here? Martha's faith is in an event that she believes will take place. She starts by asking Jesus, and then she goes, no, I know, I know this thing is going to happen, this thing that I don't really fully understand, but I, I know that one day it's going to all be better. I know, that, I know that he's in a better place. I know that someday it's going to make sense, but, but, but what about now? And her eyes, if you can picture it, are wandering off of Jesus and on to some event that she doesn't understand and in this moment is not providing her any comfort. And it's almost as though Jesus is saying, hey, 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 back on me. You believe in the resurrection? I am the resurrection and the life. Believe in me. The resurrection isn't a what, it's a who. And that may seem small and picky, but sometimes those small things are really big things. We say God is loving, and that is true, but it's more true to say that God is love. God does not possess the attribute of being loving. He is love. Jesus doesn't just speak truth. He is truth. 
Jesus doesn't just have life, he is life. And this is critical because we often put our hope in many things and our eyes will go off of Jesus and onto the things that we believe. And we forget that the reason why we believe these things is because of him. What gives us hope in those dark times are not the what's of the Christian faith, it's the who. Hope in Jesus. Not hope that if I do all the right things, things will work out. Which by that we typically mean the way I want them to work out, the way I think is best. Not hope in God giving me a new circumstance. Not hope even in the healing. Not even hope in a theological truth. The person that is the reason why we can hope in any of those things. Whatever you are going through right now, much like we said a few weeks ago, that whatever you want, whatever you desire, Jesus is the door, he's the gate through which you will find all that. Whatever you are looking for right now on the road that you are walking, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Don't put your hope in an event. Don't put your hope in something that you've created for yourself to just make yourself feel better. Put your hope in Jesus. Don't search the scriptures for the verse that meets your situation. It's going to make sense of everything and make you all of a sudden go, okay, I got it all figured out. Search the scriptures to find him. He's the only one that's worthy. And if you get nothing else out of my ramblings, get that. Jesus. That's why we take communion every week. That's why we sing songs to him. That's why we worship him. That's why we, we point people to him. That's why when I preach, like I'm just preaching Jesus because that is our hope. And you'll hear that all the time. He is our hope. He is the resurrection and the life. Whatever you are going through, find him. See, if we search for what we want, for answers in the Bible, and we look primarily for that, for an event or a concept, then we can get lost in the weeds and our eyes drift off of him and onto things. It starts out subtly, but we stop fixing our eyes on Jesus and we start fixing our eyes on the thing that we want or the thing that we're looking for. We take our eyes off the who and put them onto the what. And if you don't believe me, think about this. Lots of people are asking questions about the book of Revelation right now. Lots. Do you know what the point of Revelation is? Jesus wins. He's coming back. That's it. The point of Revelation is not dragons and marks of beasts. And is this credit card the thing or that vaccine? Is that the mark? Or like, that's not the point. The point is Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead. And he will take those who trusted in him and his grace with him, to be with him forever. Like, what's the point of what the Bible teaches about heaven? Is the point what what we'll look like? Will we be married? What age will we be? Will we have jobs? Is there baseball? Yes. (laughs) The answer to all those questions about heaven is Jesus. You'll be with him. He's preparing a place for you that you can't even imagine. And no, it doesn't look like the Sunday school room that you grew up in. No, there's not flannel graphs around. 
No, there's not, like, it's not just boring stuff over and over. It's life and joy endlessly because of Him. When we think about healing, I get that a lot, and I understand that. Like, well, how do I pray for healing? It's less about how you pray for healing and then who you're praying to. Or if you're wondering, God, what is your purpose right now? How will you turn this for my good like you have promised? The question is less, how will you turn this for my good? But who will turn this for your good? So by all means, ask for healing. By all means, wonder about heaven. By all means, believe the incredible truths that we have in Scripture and hang on to those promises, but pursue all of those things in Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. And he is with you. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sound familiar? Same question. But Jesus gives a different response. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. See, she has the exact same response as Martha, but Jesus handles this differently. When he sees her and everyone around her weeping, he was deeply moved and greatly troubled. Now, to understand that, we need to understand that this is not the, the word for this. I'm not going to bore you with the Greek, and I'm certainly not going to embarrass myself by trying to pronounce it, but it doesn't just mean like a sympathetic kind of there, there. It's not Jesus saying like, oh, that is sad. The Greek word that is used in here for greatly troubled is a guttural, animal-like groaning of the heart. It is deep. It is what we might call something that would produce an ugly cry. If you've ever been in a hospital room and heard the groaning of a parent who has lost their child. That is this kind of groaning and cry. Why would Jesus have that response if he knew what he was about to do? Why would Jesus have that response if he knew exactly what was about to happen and the joy that was going to come. It's simple. Because the people that he loves so deeply were hurting 
so immensely. And it moved him. It brought him grief. See, he weeps with us. In, he's with us in our grief, not based on how bad our situation is. He doesn't grieve as those with no hope. He's the perfect example of that. He grieves with us because we are grieving and he loves us. This is powerful. And he cries with them. He weeps with them. But it's not a cry of hopelessness. It is a cry both of empathy with them, but also a cry of anger and grief over the pain and destruction that sin has caused in the world. He is also angry at evil. He is angry at death. He knows that a battle is coming, a battle that has already been won, but right now it is causing incredible grief for those that he loves. Do not think that God is indifferent to your suffering or to your pain. And do not think that he comforts you just as from a distance, like we do sometimes with people where we say, oh, it's really not that big of a deal. He is with us in it and sobs with us when we sob and groans with us when we groan. Like whatever brokenness you are feeling, Whatever you look around in the world right now and you say, why? Jesus feels that with you. Not symbolically, but actually. It doesn't matter how big or small the thing is. He grieves with you because you are in pain. He could have said to Mary and Martha, hey, just hold on. Watch this. But instead, he weeps with them. He loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and their pain had become his pain. So much so that it was evident to all those around him, which is why verse 36 says, the Jews said, see how he loved him. Like that shows you how deep this groaning and this grief was. They look at this and they said, look how much he loved him. And as wild as it sounds, that's how much he loves you. If people could see Jesus in the flesh with you in your suffering, their response would be, look how much he loves her. Look how much he loves him. But if that's the case, it raises the inevitable question that the Jews ask and that we ask. Question that others in the crowd ask. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? If he loves him so much, why didn't he save him? Like, okay, Jay, I hear you. I hear you that Jesus is with me in my suffering, but I have to go back to that question. If he loves me so much, why am I on this road? Why doesn't he fix it? And the mind-boggling answer that he gives is it's because he loves you. And we say, that can't be. And it's the, the accusation that is lobbied against God most that I come into contact is the problem of evil. It's because there is evil and because there's pain in the world, then God either is not good or he is not powerful. Because he can't be both. 
Because if he's good, then he must not be powerful and be able to fix this. If he's powerful to fix it and he doesn't, then he must not be good. That's the only explanation. Unless he is doing something even greater through it. If he loves you this deeply, and if he has power to deal with it, then the only reason he wouldn't is for our good and because he has something better for us. Romans 8, Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Understand this. Jesus does not expect you and me to fully understand that and be like, oh, great. Well, I can't wait to see what that is you have for me, Jesus. He gets it. The New Testament doesn't even try to explain exactly how that works. What it does is consistently point us back to Jesus and say, but if Jesus is who he says he is, then you can trust him. It may not make sense. You may not know how. You may not know why. You may not know when. But if you take your eyes off of all of those what's that we can't know and turn them to the who that we can, then we can start to experience some of that peace and that joy now. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? When you wonder, like, God, can I trust you that you're actually going to work this for good? He gave us his son. Why would he withhold anything from us? Whatever hard road you're going on, it is producing something good. Paul says to the church in Corinth, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do you know what Paul is referring to as light momentary affliction? Being imprisoned, beaten, seeing his friends die, and ultimately being killed himself doesn't feel very light and momentary to us. He's not saying it's light and momentary because it feels light and momentary. He's saying it's because compared to the weight of glory that is coming and knowing not only is it compared to that, but this light momentary affliction is what? It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So it's not just, okay, we can deal with this because eventually we're going to get this. He's saying it's because you deal with this that you get this. That's the mind-boggling response of Jesus. Why did we wait two days? Why are we going back to where they are killing? Why did you let him sit in the tomb for four days? Because I love you. He knows what he's doing. He is our hope. He is with you. And he wins. And Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Facts, right there. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Jesus saying, hey, move that, that stone. Uh, Jesus, do you remember? It's been four days. 
And he says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. See, there's that fulfillment of the purpose, that they may believe. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen straps and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. See, make no mistake about it. However painful this grieving is, it will not last. With a word, Jesus brings Lazarus out of the grave. Now some... Because of other places it appears in the New Testament, this is a loud cry, like a, a war cry, like the roar of a lion. It's a standoff. And Jesus roars against death and destruction, and Lazarus walks out. And look at his response. Unbind him and let him go. It doesn't sap Jesus of his power. It's not a hard fight. Jesus speaks a word and death is defeated, put in its place. You start to see where the comfort comes. Do you believe that he loves you? Do you believe that he's with you? Do you believe that he has this kind of power? And whatever road he's asking you to walk has to be for your good. What seemed hopeless was now a reality after a word. One of the things that stands out about me about this is their objection. He's been in the tomb for four days, and it's a it's a realistic objection. But ultimately, what they're saying is Jesus, it's too late. We get you can heal people of illness. We've even see you, seen you raise someone from the dead, but she just died. Like this person has been dead for four days. It's hopeless. That's why they said if you'd been here, but it was never too late. Let me ask you something right now about your life. What do you have going on in your life that you feel like has been in the tomb for far too long? You have a marriage that seems beyond repair. An adult child who has walked away from the faith. A cancer that won't go away. Mental illness that won't relent. An addiction that won't let go. A friendship that seems beyond reconciliation. Patterns of behavior and life that just seem so ingrained in you that you can't even separate who you actually are from the things that you find yourself doing. Understand that Jesus stands at the door of that tomb. He weeps with you. It is because he loves you that he is there with you. He understands your grief and you have a choice. When you look at him, you can say, well, you did other miracles. Why can't you do this one? Why won't you do this right now? Or will you be with those 
who see the fact that he is standing with you, weeping with you, present with you. The fact that you are here this morning as evidence of his deep love and therefore why you can trust him. You can trust him on any road. You can trust that he is the resurrection and the life. You can trust him that he is always with you to the end of the age. And whatever he does and whatever he is doing, whether he delivers you today or tomorrow or in the last day, it is for God's glory and for your joy. But this is for those who believe in him and say, you are the Christ. And make no mistake, there will come a day where he will roar like a lion against all of this and all of the sad things will come untrue. And you have more joy in God's glory than if you'd never walked this road so that you will believe. And all of a sudden, what was strange in the beginning makes sense at the end, that it was because he loved them that he waited another two days. What do you think happened to Mary and Martha and Lazarus from this point forward? Do you think their faith might have been strengthened? One preacher said about Lazarus, what do you think they did to Lazarus to scare him after this? When he was following Jesus after Jesus had been resurrected and the church started to be persecuted, can you imagine people trying to persecute Lazarus? What are they going to do? Tell him we're going to kill you? The pastor, the preacher who was preaching on that said, how do, you, how do you threaten a man who's already been there and knows the one who's going to let him out? Some of you have been through really dark things. And you're not afraid because you know the one who's going to let you out. He's been with you in the midst of it. He's delivered you in ways. You can trust him in the ways that haven't yet been resolved. But the question is, will you follow him? Will you put your hope in him? Will you see his presence, his presence as evidence of his great love for you, that he is faithful? And if you put your trust in him, if you abide in him, if you surrender today your life and take his life as your own, one day he will call you by name. And with the roar of a lion, he will call you to come out and enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are who you say you are. And Lord, right now, I just, I pray for those who are hurting in this room right now. Those who have found themselves asking you, God, why? Why do I have to go through this? Why is this the road? Why is this the path? When are you going to deliver me? How long will you take to do this, Lord, that we would take our eyes off of the what and move them back to the who? That we would fix our eyes on you. That as the enemy would try to get into our head and say, well, if, if God was good, he wouldn't let you go through this. If he was powerful, he would stop this. Lord, let us look at the cross and see our God and King who rather than casting us off in our rebellion became flesh and lived the life we couldn't live and died the death that we deserved and reconciled us through his blood. 
buying us back from sin and death and redeeming us, reconciling us back to you, Lord. Why? Because you love us. So Lord, let us trust you. Let us remember that our hope is not in a thing, but it is in you. You are the resurrection and the life. We believe. Lord, help our unbelief. And do not withhold any bit of eternal joy that you have for us. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen.